Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that prayer supplication. And uh, even as you were going through the prayer requests and needs, um, I was thinking about the the boys' soccer team that's been trapped in the cave in Thailand uh, for about two weeks now, and very tedious situation over there, dangerous. Uh, I understand the rescue operation is underway. I I believe I got an update that um, I think they're pairing up two rescue uh, rescuers with scuba diving equipment to each one of the uh, those boys to bring them through that series of networks of caves some of those caves are completely submerged underwater so some of these boys don't even know how to swim and they're having to learn how to use scuba diving equipment and just to get through so so that process is even going on right now and I, I think about the parents I'm sorry, I think about these kids and I think about their parents what they must be going through and have been going through. And and I know that there are people all over the world praying for this operation. Could we just join our hearts even now and just just praise God for what He is doing and and ask Him to bring all of those kids out of those caves uh, even today. Let's pray. Father, we know that you're everywhere. We know that you know all things. You see everything. Lord, even, even as I speak to you on behalf of your people right here at Cornerstone, we know that you are there in the deepest, darkest bowels of those caves system. You're there with those boys and their leader. Lord, we know that you are with those rescuers who risked their lives. And so, Lord, through this long and, and tedious process, God, we pray that you would just manifest your presence and your power. And if it be your will, deliver those boys safely. God, we pray that you will be with their families and encourage them. And if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, use this opportunity to point to God, the God of all creation, the one true living God. And may they ultimately come to know you as their Savior and their Lord. And we thank you for the two boys that have already been rescued. We claim, Lord, by faith that if it be your will, all of them will be safely in the arms of their families very soon. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a couple of months ago, I I challenged us, us as a congregation, to be aware of of the primary reason that we're on this earth as, as Christians. And that is in the fulfillment of the Great Commission in which Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Of course, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But but make disciples. Our primary purpose, our ultimate goal in life as Christians is not to have careers, not to have things, not to live pleasurable and comfortable lives. You know, all those wonderful blessings are great. But, but there is one thing that you and I will stand before the creator of all of creation and his son who died on a rugged cross to pay the price for our, our redemption so that we can have eternal life. And the one thing that we will give account for is the influence that we have had upon those who don't know Jesus Christ. The challenge I issued was called a Christ connection. How many opportunities have you had since then that God has brought someone across your path 
to talk to them about Jesus. That's a Christ connection. And here we fasted and prayed back in June and, 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 and just asked, if you did, you, we were praying and asking God, acknowledging that we're not doing what we need to be doing, but with His help we can. And praying, fasting earnestly and seeking God's help and His leadership in being effective witnesses to the people around us. And I just want to encourage you, don't lose sight of that challenge. Christ connections. The people that God brings across your path on a daily basis. Folks, there's no such thing as coincidence. It's called providence. And start your day, every day, with a humble prayer saying simply, Lord, You know who You will have me to encounter today that I might in some way connect them to Jesus Christ. It may be a lost person who's never heard the gospel. You can tell them from personal experience what it means to be saved. It may be a discouraged Christian who's out of church and maybe out of the will of God. And you know what? You can have a Christ connection with a fellow Christian who is out of God's will and encourage them in the right direction. Folks, don't underestimate the opportunities God has given each and every one of us individually and then corporately as a church to influence others for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having said that, I, I want to encourage you now to open up your word of, the word of God, your copy of God's word in John, 1 John chapter 4. And, and I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for being here this morning. I thank you for being willing to come and, and having the desire to worship God. I thank you for being a part of our worship experience. I thank you for affording me the opportunity. And it is. It's a privilege to preach the Word of God. I don't take that for granted, that you're here to hear the Word of God. And I pray I will be faithful in rendering to you God's Word, to you and to me, as given to us in John's epistle, first epistle, in 1 John. And so you'll be looking today with me in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1. In my previous message, and you probably haven't scratched your head to remember that, but just take my word for it, there was a previous message, and it was out of chapter 3, because I'm just preaching right through the, the, the epistle, first epistle of John. But back in chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, you may recall that we saw John describing the, the authentic True Christian's confidence. Every true follower of Christ can live, no matter what, what the world has to throw at us, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how you feel physically, emotionally, the fact is we can and should live with a solid degree of confidence. A confidence that is not generated from within us, but as John was expounding upon there in those verses 19 through 24 in chapter 3, we gain confidence every day through our personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, we gain confidence through our boldness in prayer. Oh my goodness, if you're not a prayer warrior, if you're not a practicer of prayer on a daily basis, you're missing out on a great confidence-building experience. 
Because talking to the God who created this world and all of heaven and who is the supreme sovereign ruler of all, talking to Him and listening to Him and communing with Him, folks, that'll build confidence. And we need confidence in the world in which we live. And then thirdly, you may recall in that message, in those passages, we gain confidence through our position in Christ our position in Christ, that is the key to our relationship with God, is our position in Christ. Us and Him, He and us, made possible, as you saw in verse 24, John said, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So, now, launching from that, as we go into chapter 4, we've talked about the confidence that is ours as True followers, and I emphasize, you, you may think it's redundant that I keep saying true followers, genuine followers, authentic followers. Folks, that's because there are a lot of fake followers. People who wear the crosses on their chains or the lapels or have honk if you love Jesus on their bumper stickers or, or they smile, that Christian smile and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh listen, the Bible clearly tells us, warns us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. people on church rolls across this nation who are bound for hell. Some of them leaders in their churches. Don't put your confidence in anything else than the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Know that you know. And so we talk about the assurance of the authentic Christian. As John takes us in chapter 4. You know, a couple of years ago, I went to visit with my dad. I always enjoy getting up in the country to hang out with my dad, and we do things together. And, but anyway, that particular trip, I was driving up to his house, and, and as I routinely do, pulled up in his driveway and went around to the back of my car and got my suitcase out and was just thinking through what we were going to be doing. And that is getting late in the afternoon, early evening. As I was just walking along uh, up to the porch, I, I got at the back porch, as I normally do, just routinely, and I just happened to glance off to my left, a big grain field in the backdrop of my dad's house there, just across the, 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 the valley. But it, up there in the middle of that grain field, up on a hill, just, just the biggest, most beautiful buck I think I've ever seen. This thing was massive. <laughs> this deer had an antler rack that just, I mean, would be the envy of the great, the best of the outdoorsmen. And he was staring straight at me. And I froze because I thought, man, this is beautiful. And I didn't want to move because I didn't want to spook him because they're very, you know, spooky and, and nervous animals. And so I was, I was frozen. And he stared at me. And I'm staring at him. And I don't know how long this went on. Finally, my dad, who had seen me drive up, came to the door out of curiosity. And, and he's opening the door. And I'm going, shh. And I'm pointing at this humongous, beautiful buck. And my dad burst out laughing. And he says, Charlie, that's a decoy. <laughs> so, so your cousin, who's a deer hunter, put that thing over there in the field last week. And he just died laughing and went on in the house and I just kind of slithered in behind him. But it looked so real. 
I mean, it looked so real. I didn't feel too bad because he told me his preacher came to see him just a few days before that. And his preacher uh, is an avid hunter and was driving down the road and saw the deer over in the field, uh, poised just like I saw it. And, and, and he, being the good country boy, had a rifle in his truck and, uh, and probably had a hound dog. But anyway, but he pulled his truck over quickly to the side. My dad was watching him. <laughs> from the living room window. And he says, that, there goes this preacher with his rifle. He's crouched down, you know, stealthily approaching that, you know. And my dad said, I just played along. Just let him go for you. So, fi <laughs> so finally, he eventually got close enough that he saw it was a decoy, and he looked up, my dad just kind of waved at him. But anyway, so my dad told me that. I felt better, yeah. But anyway, you know, John as he is transitioning from chapter 3, verse 24, to chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle John sternly yet lovingly warns the early church to be diligent in carefully guarding the pure truth of the gospel passed along to, to them by the Holy Spirit of, of the God through faithful apostles and other writers, and he's challenging them. And he's warning them, and I said sternly but lovingly because John, the beloved disciple, likes to use that expression, beloved. He's writing to fellow Christians. He's writing to those who are part of the family of God, and he loves them. And so he starts out in verse 1 of chapter 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit. In other words, don't believe everything you hear. Christians? Far too many Christians... And churches are more enamored with the latest trends and current trends and popular fads than they are with solid biblical orthodoxy. Oh, it may sound good. It may sound, quote, Christian. <laughs> it may sound fine. But be careful. John says to those early Christians, and dear friend, I believe he's saying to us, be careful. 21st century followers of Jesus Christ. Be careful. And so he's talking to us here about the assurance of authentic Christians and how we can have this assurance. And one of the first ways that we can have this assurance as followers of Christ in this world that is filled with all kinds of uncertainty and all kinds of false doctrine and teachings and everything is uh, this assurance comes from our uh, results from thoroughly testing the various spirits out there in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, so many Christians, so many People calling themselves God's people are walking around naive as they can be. They only see the physical dimension, that which they can see and touch and smell and hear. But, but you see, so many of God's people are naively to the pleasure of Satan, ignoring that there is a real spiritual dimension. The Holy Spirit is spirit. The angels are spirits. But so is our number one enemy and adversary, the devil, spirit. His demons, spirits. Do you think they just sit back, demons and Satan and all of the, the forces of evil? Do you think they sit back in some cave and wait till Halloween and come out? Ladies and gentlemen, they are a part of your world whether you realize it or accept it or not. And if you're blindly walking through life ignoring that these, these evil, satanically empowered spirits are 
right there before you. And we are engaged, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, in spiritual warfare. So John is warning. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets, and that would be false teachers, have gone out into the world. And I submit to you, dear brothers and sisters, these same spirits are very much at work today. There are false prophets, there are false teachers that are out there attempting to mislead unwary people and also to make life difficult for Christians. It's important to test the spirits against the Word of God. You know, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, recounting for us and describing the experiences of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey, in Acts chapter 17, Luke is recording how uh, Paul and Silas are, have, have preached the word to the Jews in the town of Berea. And, and, and Luke is talking about the faithful and discerning Jews in Berea who, quote, received the word from Paul and Silas with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were true. Just because Paul and Silas showed up and they were preaching the gospel and they were talking about Jesus Christ and the things of God, don't think these Berean believers were simply going to sit back and say, oh, that, that, that sounds good, that sounds right. We, yeah, we're in on that. Daily, daily, they went back to the Word of God to test, to see if what indeed Paul was preaching and Silas was preaching was the Word of God. And John is saying, don't believe, do not believe every spirit that is out there among you. And in that first century church, there were plenty of heretical false teachers who were permeating that early church so as to mislead Christians and to keep others who were not Christians from coming to Christ. And the way that you test these spirits is against the teaching of the Word of God. The Word of Truth. We have that right here. That's why we diligently, as a church, bring, to the best of our abilities, discipleship ministry to, to the members of this church. Discipleship is important. Let me just take you back to Ephesians chapter 4 and listen to how Paul describes the, the importance of training Christians in the Word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, And he, Christ, himself, gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some to be evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie and wait to deceive. So you see, the reasons we provide Christian growth groups and a solid biblical uh, um, um, lesson and, and, and the reason we provide the equip hour and other Bible teaching uh, opportunities in the church is so that you 
will know the Word of God so that you, when you hear things that are strange and unusual based upon what you are familiar with, you go back and you test it against the Word of God. Is this what the Bible preaches? Is this what the Bible teaches? So the goal of Christian discipleship, the goal of Christian discipleship is for you and I to be stable and for you and I to be mature. And so if you're engaged in Christian growth group and you're engaged in the, the equip hour on Sunday evening, you're engaged in small group Bible study as a D group or, or some other, or maybe a care group, listen, that's all designed to help you to be better equipped so that you don't fall prey to these false spirits. And brothers and sisters, there are plenty. Jesus' disciples carefully discern and embrace true doctrine. Remembering that Satan's strategy hasn't changed from the very beginning. <laughs> you know, Satan says, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. It worked for him in Genesis chapter 3. And Satan's strategy to derail Christians, to discourage Christians, to disillusion Christians, to trip them up, and to keep others who are unsaved from coming to the truth of the gospel is three basic steps. Number one, doubt. Number two, denial. And number three, distortion when it comes to the Word of God. Let me play it out for you very simply out of Genesis chapter 3. You know the scene where Satan is, has in, 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 taken possession of the serpent. So the, the serpent described here is none other than Satan himself. And he comes to the woman and he says to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God says, You shall not eat of it, nor should you touch it lest you die. So right away Satan causes doubt. Did God really say you couldn't eat of everything? And it's interesting because Eve goes a little further than God had actually instructed Adam in Genesis 2.17. God simply says, You shall not eat of it, but she took it a step further, which either she's not listening good to Adam or Adam's just not a good teacher. But the fact is, she, he's, he's planning into her mind doubt. Number Verse 4 in Genesis 3, the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. Denial. <laughs> That's not true. You eat of it. You're not going to die. That, what God told you is not true. And then he moves to distortion. In verse 5, For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's partially true because we know from the Scriptures that the, the, the moment that they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open. Suddenly they realized what sin was. Suddenly they saw the effect of sin. They were shamed for the first time. Oh yeah, their eyes were open. But not in the way that Satan was distorting. So you see, the tactic that Satan uses back then, he's still using today. He's constantly trying to plant seeds of doubt into the minds of God's people. He's trying to lead God's people to deny God's, the truthfulness of God's Word. He's trying to distort the Word of God in any way to mislead the people of God. And sadly, sadly, churches have fallen prey to this. Congregations have fallen prey to this same tactic. 
denominations have fallen prey to this same tactic. They have the same Word of God that we do, and yet from it they don't extract the biblical truths that we do because they ignore parts of it, distorting parts of it, or denying parts of it. Oh, listen, beware, Christians. Beware. Our adversary is hard at work every day through, through the, the forces around us and through the culture around us to cause us to turn from the Word of God. The Spirit of truth, and that's the Holy Spirit of God, always confirms the biblical attributes of God. And that's what John is saying. Let's read on. In verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. In verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have, which you have heard from the, uh, uh, you, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world. So you see what John is saying there. He's saying, listen, the spirit of God is always going to confirm in our hearts the truth about Jesus Christ. If you hear anybody promoting Jesus in any way that does not match the description of God's Word, for instance, John says, you know, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ not only came into the world, but He came in, the hum in human flesh. We know that there were heretical, false teachings that were permeating the church, such as the Gnostics, who were saying, oh yeah, Jesus is real, but He really wasn't it wasn't God in the flesh. That's impossible because we know, and they're borrowing from the Greek uh, uh, theology or the Greek philosophy of dualism where matter is evil and, and spirit is good. He couldn't be physical, they said, because that would make him evil, so therefore he never was here in the flesh. And John says, baloney. <laughs> if anybody tries to tell you that Jesus was not truly a man, that's not true. It's a, it's a, it's a false spirit. It's not only that. It's an it's a unbiblical depiction of God in Christ. Now I know that we have Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and Muslims and, 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 and other cults and false religions that attempt to portray Jesus in different ways other than as the Scripture describes. And let me tell you something. Anybody that tries to describe Jesus Christ other than being the only begotten Son of God, the blessed Messiah, let me tell you something. False. We know. We, led by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, we know in our hearts that Jesus Christ indeed is, He's, he's God, Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus came fully God and fully man. And that's what the Word of God confirms to us. Liberal and compromised churches and superficial Christians who bow to humanistic thinking today and have bought into the, 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 the teachings of cultural Christianity, they deny the biblical Jesus. And unknowingly, they are promoting a dangerous and a demonic philosophy that John speaks of right here. He says there in verse 3, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So this, this 
this spirit that John is talking about, this unbiblical teaching about Jesus Christ and about God is nothing more than a heretical system of teaching that is permeating the church then and permeating the church today that is driven by Satan. And that system has been going on since the first century. It is going on in our time. And ladies and gentlemen, it will one day be fulfilled ultimately in a person by the name of the Antichrist who is a replacement for Christ is what that actually means. It's interesting in verse 3 that the term Antichrist, if you're reading out of a New American Standard or English Standard Version or King James Version, it's, it's a small case. Speaking of that system of heretical teachings, philosophy, if you will. Whereas in the New King James Version, I noticed that Antichrist is, is a capital A, which speaks of a person. Speaking of the person that, that Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, as the man of lawlessness. There will be an individual who will be raised up. This individual is described by John in his vision in Revelation in chapter 13. He's described as the beast. Or translated, the monster. He will be the incarnation of Satan himself. He will be the Antichrist. So that system that is undermining the truth of who Jesus is and who God is and seeks to deceive believers has been going on. It is in our presence even now. And that's why John says, don't be deceived. Test the spirits against the Word of God and make sure that what you are seeing and what you are hearing is indeed the truth of God's Word. So we have assurance as God's believers when we are obedient to test every spirit. I tell, I've told some of you, probably all of you, listen, you'll never offend me. And I dare say you won't offend any of our preachers. If you go back and sit down with your Bible open and you go back through the message and you test it against the Word of God, you won't offend me if you come to me and say, well, Pastor Charlie, I just noticed that you know, my Bible says this and it doesn't seem to agree with what you said. We'll sit down and reason it out. Okay? Test everything you hear. This is our ultimate source of authority. No human being, no council, no denomination. This is our authority as Baptists and as Bible-believing Christians. Let's move along as we look at verse 4. Verse 4 is a very familiar passage to many of you. Many times you've probably quoted this as you encounter difficulties in life and intimidations by the enemy. John goes on to say here, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Another way that God's people has assurance as we live out our Christian life as true believers results from totally dependent upon God's Holy Spirit. How conscious of you are you every day of the presence of God's Spirit in you? Not only in you, 
How conscious are you as you go about your daily activities and routines? How conscious are you of the working of the Spirit of God in your presence? Or do you kind of leave Him at home in your prayer closet? Or somewhere confined in your Bible? Ladies and gentlemen, we gain, we gain assurance by a living consciousness of the presence of the Spirit of God. He's given to us. Do you understand that? He's given to us. John's Gospel, chapter 14. Jesus speaking of this very thing. In John, uh, John 14, verse 16. John 14, 16. Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. In verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And jump over to chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus says again, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And then jump over to chapter 16 very quickly, verse 7. Jesus says to his disciples, and mind you, this is drawn very close to Jesus' time of departure through his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So Jesus knows that his time is limited and he's given his disciples hope. He's given them assurance. But when he leaves, he won't leave them alone. Listen to what he says in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit in you is Christ with you. Have you ever thought that it would sure be nice to be Peter and James and John and Andrew and the guys that had the privilege of getting up every day and talking to Jesus and walk, walking with Him and seeing firsthand, hearing Him firsthand. Oh, wouldn't it be great just to live life, quote, with Jesus? Do you understand that the moment that you chose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He sent His Spirit, His presence, to live within you. There's not a day you walk on the face of this earth as a child of God that you don't walk with Jesus. That doesn't say that everything you do along the way pleases Him. It doesn't say that every day consciously you acknowledge Him. But the fact is, you can't leave Him behind. The Spirit of God in us is equivalent to Jesus with us. And that's how John is, is reassuring these early first century Christians giving them confidence of knowing that they are in Christ. He is in them by His Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit defends the believer who stands solidly on the truth of the Scriptures. Do you hear that? You've got a defender. You've got an advocate. You've got someone who's running interference between you and the devil and the demons and this anti-Christian society and culture in which we live. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil and the demons and all of their minions can tempt and harass and distract and discourage us, but John the Apostle reminds us we are of God as his little children. 
And greater is he who is in us than is he who is in the world. I don't care who comes against you with false teachings and lies. I don't care who comes against you to trip you up and to cause, try to cause you to stumble in your faith walk with the Lord. I don't care who comes against you as a way to try to cause you to be dissuaded. Let me tell you something. They are never greater than the one who is abiding every day, every minute within you. Greater is he who is in us, in us than all the forces of hell working against us in this world. You know, we don't live in a country that is amiable to biblical Christianity anymore. Oh, there was a day, there was a day where it was a good thing to be a Christian because those in society tended to have favor towards you. But ladies and gentlemen, if you've not woken up to what you see around you from the secular culture steeped in humanism, realize that this country is not favorable to biblical Christianity. And sometimes it can be intimidating to take a stand for what the Bible truly says. Oh, it's easy to blend into a secular culture by saying, oh, I believe in God. Well, good gracious. Just about everybody you can reach out and smack will say, I believe in God. But I wouldn't suggest you smack them. But I'm just saying. Oh, you'll blend in. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. But you mention the name of Jesus Christ and say, I believe He is the only begotten Son of God. And there's no other way to heaven but through Him. And guarantee you, the majority of people you encounter, you can see the hair bristle up on the back of their head. You narrow-minded, egotistical, Bible-thumping, Hell, fire, brimstone. Well, I don't want anything to do with you. Oh, listen, they're not, they're not rejecting you. It's that evil spirit within them that is rejecting the Jesus in you. But don't be intimidated. Because the Spirit of God defends the believer. He'll see you through. And not only that, let the devil do what he can. Let his demons do what they can. They can't destroy you. There's no such thing as a true believer in Jesus Christ being demon-possessed. There's not enough room inside, ladies and gentlemen, when the demon, when the devil goes to the door of your heart and rings the doorbell and says, I'd like to take in, Jesus answers the door. Sorry, no vacancies, beat it. Not only does the Spirit of God defend the believer, he defeats the devil in all of his attempts if we are standing solid on the Word of God. And I love it. Folks, I know the devil is strong. I know he's powerful. I know he's, he's a supernatural being created by God. I know he's super intelligent and very cunning and crafty. But ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, listen, listen. The Word of God makes it abundantly clear. Satan is no match for Jesus Satan is no match for Jesus. There's no equality whatsoever. There's no contest. I love that passage in Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. 
After Satan has, has been bound up at, and Jesus comes in the second coming and he, he destroys those in rebellion against him and he binds up Satan and throws him in the bottomless pit and then the millennial reign where Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years and after that he releases Satan to do his thing and Satan has another rebellion going against the Lord and his people and in verse 20, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 10 of Revelation it says, And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast the, and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever Jesus always has the last word the spirit of God within us reminds us that he's here to defend us he's here to, to defeat the devil who comes against us and he helps us to distinguish between the spirits of the world versus the truth, the spirit of truth in us. Jesus said as he was confronting some, some evil, satanically uh, uh, led uh, Jewish Pharisees who were seeking to, to discredit him and to attack him and to undermine his ministry. And Jesus simply said in John chapter 8 verse 47, he says, He who is of God hears God's word. But he who is not of God does not hear God's word. That's what John is saying. John's picking up on that here in chapter 4 in verse 5. He says they are of the world. Speaking of those who, who don't belong to, to Christ. Therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. Oh there's a lingo that goes on between those who are, who are lost and rebelling against God. They understand the language of the world. The world understands them. There's great communication. But John says in verse 6, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Have you ever been out and, you know, just out doing your thing, shopping or out to dinner or just socializing out there and, you know, encountering people you don't know? And, and, and just talking to somebody, which I like to do. I, I like to talk to strangers. Uh, then they're not strangers, I hope. But, but you know, it, as you begin to talk, and if you, if you begin to direct the conversation towards the Lord, you know what, it doesn't take long. You can tell whether that person knows your language or they don't. Because if they're of the world and Jesus has no part in their life, they'll get very awkward, they'll make excuses, they'll back out, or they'll, they might even say, say something to you that's rough. But, but the thing that just, just gets me, man, I mean, it's like cherry on top of a, a banana split. It's, it's when in that conversation, that I, I began to bring things of the Lord into the conversation, and you can see the countenance on their face just begin to light up. And you begin to speak things. You, they begin to, they, they communicate. You're connecting with them. You can tell. And I, you know, I, I just don't know any better than going in and ask them. Hey, do you mind if I ask you, do, do you know Jesus Christ as your, are you a Christian? And then, then it just really, hey brother, yeah. And you get, it, it's like, you see, the world doesn't hear us. We're talking God language. It's the Spirit speaking through us. Therefore, what Jesus said, those who are not of God, they don't hear the Word of God. But on the other hand, I promise you, you don't know. 
You don't know the people that are out there who are maybe Christians who just need an encouraging word. They just need someone to come along. They need another believer to be a, a source of encouragement to them, an inspiration to them. And you speak God's language and that's just warming their hearts. Not only that, not only that, but you know, Jesus says, no one comes to me except the Father draw them. The Spirit draw them. And those people, though lost, though unsaved, if God has already elected them, God has chosen them, and you begin to speak the truth of the gospel, let me tell you something. If they are of God's elect, God is already, He's opening their ears, so don't stop talking. Because the ones that God wants to be saved and be a part of His kingdom, He's going to give them ears to hear. And when you talk about all have sinned and gone short, are, are, are short of the glory of God, and you talk about the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and you talk about all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, all of a sudden, when John 3.16 before didn't mean anything to them, suddenly, all of a sudden, they hear, for God so loves me that He sent His only Son to die for my sins. If I believe in Him, I shall not perish. And... The language leads them to Jesus. Listen, it's not up to us to go out there and attempt to pick out those who have spiritual ears to hear and those who are spiritually deaf and blind. I don't have that authority. I don't have that ability. Nor do you. Therefore, we just do what we're supposed to do. Be who we're called to be. We're called to be witnesses for Christ. Isn't that what he said in Acts 1.8? When the power of the Spirit comes, you will receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. We are his witnesses. Don't be so preoccupied. Well, I wonder if that person needs to be saved. <laughs> Just tell them. Be a witness. We are not only witnesses for Christ, but the Bible says we are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador speaks of the one in authority that they represent. So John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that a glorious, wonderful assurance? It's a dark and sinful, immoral rebellious world in which we live. But ladies and gentlemen, God knew that before He created us and before He assigned us to live in this 21st century. We are here for a mission and for a purpose. Don't let the conditions of this world distract you from being who God has called you to be and doing what God has called you to do. You are the children of God, loved by God, and present with God.